Wonder how that woman came up with her cool idea and turned it into a business? Listen in to find out how. Welcome to Women Inspired. I'm your host, Linda Ugolo, and on this show, I interview entrepreneurs, artists, healers, and changemakers about what fires them up and how they put their dreams into action. And if you are an entrepreneur, you know that it's important to share your expertise. And I have someone on today who is going to share, you, share with you how to be a content-driven entrepreneur. She is a social entrepreneur herself. Welcome, Carol Copeland-Thomas. Thank you so much, Linda, for having me on your program, and good luck with all that you're doing, too. Oh, thank you. Yes. So tell us about how you define content-driven entrepreneur and why that's important. In this day and time, because I've been in business 32 years, and so the thrust, the mission of my business has shifted like many other businesses, even though the core message is pretty much the same. So when I look at what I do, I look at myself as a social entrepreneur who delivers a level of content related to, in my case, diversity, multiculturalism, empowerment issues, women-driven issues that go across platforms. So I can do a keynote address to an audience of five or six hundred people, or I can talk with a, a group from a training perspective, maybe 25 or 30 in the room, or what I love now to do quite a bit is to talk online with webinars and online platforms that deliver my same message. So here I have the same message that is being delivered in different formats. So the message is the content. It's driven from a level of value, high value, and it also is then received and worked upon or uh, turned into other forms of action based on those who are listening to what I have to say. Mm -hmm. And in those various different platforms. Um, platforms. Yes. That's so even our language has changed over 30 years. Again, because I work a lot online, I'm very sensitive to Who's the messenger? Who is the messenger? What is the message? Who's going to be the receiver? And how are people going to learn and improve and build their personal development based on the medium or based on the platform that works for them? So speaking of the different mediums or platforms, mm -hmm. how do you see them differing and how an entrepreneur needs to shift how they bring their expertise through it. Traditionally, people would deliver things face-to-face, one-on-one or with a group, but now because of the online uh, community, you're talking about one-to-many. So it's a matter of how can your message be shared with either an individual or a group of people who are in front of you or some kind of combination where you're working with people face-to-face and online as well. So it is important for an entrepreneur to know how to deliver that kind of message. Maybe there are some uh, additional uh, props or support mechanisms or tools that are needed. Let's say if you're delivering a webinar uh, online, obviously the equipment and the, the tools that you're going to use are going to make a big difference. And then also uh, understanding that even in your audience, a face-to-face -face audience, there will be people in your audience who will have a variety of skill sets. Some who are very traditional and they don't do Facebook they may do very minimal email work, and so they will need to get your message, uh, receive, they'll need to receive your message in one way versus someone who's maybe a millennial who's used to texting all the time or going on Snapchat or uh, YouTube or that kind of form, and they will receive your message and then go do some research on you. It's nothing for me. I was in Ohio and I was in Nebraska 
a few years ago uh, talking on a college campus. And I was amazed at the number of students who had already Googled me before I got there. They knew a lot about me before I got in the room so that they became more familiarized with my message because they had done their homework. That is the order of the day. That's who we are versus someone who will just read what is on the sheet that's given before them. And they may do some back-end research, but they're primarily taking in your message from a face-to-face -face experience. Two different people using two different forms of comprehension that will help them to understand your message. Mm -hmm. And I imagine that after hearing you speak, they may then go online to learn more about Correct. you and see what else does Carol have to say? That's right. If they're if they're savvy about going online, again, yes. it depends on not on the everybody person. is. That's Absolutely, right. yeah. I have friends in both camps. It's true, and it's important not to leave one group out for the other. Mm -hmm. If you're an entrepreneur, so if you have a marketing campaign, uh, for an example, yes, you want to have a very strong social media presence. Maybe you want to do something or have a free webinar that will lead to the services that you're offering. But you may have someone who is equally as important and valuable as a customer who is very low tech, wants to have more of a one-to-one -one relationship with you, and maybe get something in the mail reads that, reviews it, or maybe gets a telephone call and builds a relationship with you that way. Mm -hmm. So there, the social entrepreneur or any kind of entrepreneur has to understand how to connect with two types of persons. Mm. So how, how much do you find yourself doing, let's say, more the previous technologies of mail and phone versus now you say you're doing a lot online. Uh, good question, Linda. Uh, years ago, 25 years ago or so, everything was done by mail. Mm -hmm. You would uh, take very expensive media packets and uh, get them professionally printed, put them in an envelope and mail them. So you literally had $5 worth of material that was going in the mail. You know what I'm talking about. And either it was, it was actually read or not read. Uh, so that was a catch and catch can because you couldn't fax all that information to someone. The quality wasn't there. You couldn't talk about it on the phone. You had to mail it. Now fast forward, I then shrink that $5 packet down to one postcard and I'll send a postcard out to someone driving them to my website where they can download the information, maybe that same information packet, and they can read everything online as a PDF form. So that tends to be my strategy now. And it's not taking away from mailing because mailing is still very important, but I'm using it more efficiently and certainly using the bandwidth that I have online to a higher capacity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I know that a lot of people these days um, I don't know too many people who are sending information out who are online entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. but I know that people do use the mail to, like after having a connection, to, to nurture the connection or to mm -hmm. say a thank you with a, a note mm -hmm. or a gift or, or something like that, that it's an extra touch that some people are very conscientious about including mm -hmm. in their Well, look at it this way. 
I'm beginning to shift back to mail, mm -hmm. not from the $5 packet, mm -hmm. <laughs> but from a more efficient piece of material that can go out. I experiment a lot. I do a lot of my work internally, so I have a pretty good printer. I'm, I'm pretty particular about how my material looks as it goes out. Um, but I'm finding that if I combine a single piece of mail or maybe a campaign that I'm getting ready to start for referral purposes, along with the online presence, it gives me an edge because we are overloaded with emails. Yes. And so that prospective client may get 150 emails a day they can't possibly get through. So my very good email that has all my information may get swept into the junk file, but if they get something from me in the mail that looks pretty intriguing, then they may go back and say, did I receive what she's talking about in the mail? They'll pull it up from the junk mail file, and then we can begin the process. Carol, that's so interesting that you're speaking about this because I was watching a um, media mentor of mine mm -hmm. who used to work at Fox News, mm -hmm. and she was recommending that you give somebody a call and mm -hmm. leave a message. She said, because nobody calls anymore. That's right, that's right, so very true. And that you'll really, you can really stand yeah. out that way by right. using these methods mm -hmm. that, you know, used to be how we were overloaded, but mm -hmm. no more. Yeah, I mean, one method doesn't work. I mean, you, mm -hmm. you can't just uh, follow a recipe and follow it to the letter and expect your yield to be quite high. You've got to experiment. Mm -hmm. Remember, even in my case, I probably get five catalogs a week. Now, these are companies that are pretty savvy, and I don't know how much they spend on each uh, catalog per unit, but there's got to be some value to send out X number of catalogs to someone thinking that they're going to pick it up, flip through it, and ultimately buy a product from mm -hmm. them. So I always think about that. If I get no more catalogs at all, then maybe it's time for me to shift my thought. <laughs> <laughs> but as right. long as I get some catalogs, <laughs> I, think the, I think U.S. mail and priority mail, et cetera, uh, is still uh -huh. worth uh, looking into. Of the online platforms, what do you feel in your business right now is giving you either the most pleasure or the most um, impact? Uh, my comfort zone where my natural audience is right now is Facebook. Mm -hmm. Probably have about five, 6,000 Facebook fans. So I put a lot of information on Facebook. I do have a business Facebook group that's quite small and not very impactful, so I don't spend a lot of time there. But my personal page picks up a lot of volume. People follow me because you know I travel quite a bit. I take groups all over the world. Just got back from India uh, about two weeks ago, uh, two or three weeks ago. So people follow my trips. They see what I'm doing, and that gives me a level of visibility so that people get a sense of who I am and what I'm doing. I had a Black History uh, breakfast uh, a few weeks ago that was very successful successful, sold-out crowd, had a chance to honor wonderful people and highlight them on my Facebook page. Mm. So that is my natural audience. Next audience is LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Probably have the uh, same number of people on LinkedIn. We're losing the microphone here. <laughs> it's all right. Um, and I use that differently because that's a business audience. Uh, but again, people who are following the work that I'm doing in a way that will add value to them. And there may be an opportunity where they work with me. So I've picked up clients. I've picked up uh, business clients, coaching clients as well. I approach LinkedIn differently from Facebook. Um, but still, those are two very uh, popular platforms for me. 
Also post on Twitter as much as I do with Facebook and LinkedIn. Don't have the same results, but I know that the media is there. Mm -hmm. So I don't know who's following me online on Twitter, and so I always keep up my connections there. Fourth would be YouTube, which I'm still trying to master. Been on YouTube a long time. Um, I use YouTube all the time, but my particular channel isn't as popular as uh, it would be on Facebook or LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. I can put a video on LinkedIn that will be watched by two or 3,000 people like that, even uh, Facebook as well, and I can track it uh, very uh, effectively. But because of the configuration of those platforms, it will shrink to just a, a handful of viewers on YouTube. Mm. So that is a nut I'm still trying to crack. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But congratulations on the effectiveness mm. of these other platforms. Yes, yeah. It's amazing. I, I actually have people. I don't even know they're following me, and I'm, I saw somebody who I've not seen for years, and they said, oh, I've been following your trips. I see you just got back from India. When are you going to Africa? I had no idea that they were they were paying attention to what I was That's doing. Fantastic. So that lets you know. So you do a lot of traveling, I and do. you bring people with you. Yes. Is that yes. connected with your social entrepreneurship? It is. It is. Um, part of my business is the Multicultural Symposium Series. Series I started in 2008, so it's 11 years old, and it's designed to advance the cause of multiculturalism on a face-to-face -face ba basis online and on the air. So I'm using all of those platforms uh, to my advantage. So the breakfast falls under that. I have a yearly conference, a multicultural conference that we'll have in November of this coming year, and also webinars that are held um, on a monthly basis. Part of that also includes my members-only platform, uh, members-only campaign and, and group connected with the Multicultural Symposium series, and they have their own webinar with various people uh, of various, various walks of life internationally. So we just completed our uh, March webinar with a wonderful young teacher who is teaching in the Democratic Republic of Congo, originally from Boston, Adia White-Hammond. We uh, interviewed her. Uh, that will go up on the members-only platform, so we're giving value, but also teaching people the difference between the Democratic Republic of the Congo and the Republic of the Congo two different countries. So we talk about that on the webinar. We have some backup information that will help our members to sort of skip across the world virtually by being a member of MSS. So we're always mm. teaching, training, and expanding people's horizons. That's beautiful. Mm. Well, I am aware now of why you you speak about content-driven entrepreneur, <laughs> because you are really driven. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Love what I'm doing. That's fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. Let's dive into um, some of the content because you you speak about stories and you must have a lot of stories. What do you, what is your feeling of how we find stories or the importance of stories? How does that fit into the content that we create? Well, from biblical times and pre-biblical times, whatever faith you belong to, uh, whatever culture you are a part of, we have stories and stories provide a uh, prime opportunity for people to become informed and educated about a topic or a life subject or something that they need to really store going forward. So I find that telling stories and making stories a part of who I am and what I do is an opportunity for people to learn, in this case about diversity and multiculturalism, but also to connect 
in a way where they can see themselves in the stories that I tell or other people tell. Um, diversity and multiculturalism can be very theoretical and very abstract. I've taught on the university level for 10 years at Bentley University, so I've taught this class. I continue to work with uh, academicians, so I know the theory and the importance of that level of understanding. But when you drill down and tell a story about how you were, let's say, traveling, as has happened to me, and you are overlooked because a European jumps in front, male jumps in front, and asks the hotel clerk a question and then continues with his registration, you realize that you've been overlooked, this has happened, and that there's a lot of unconscious bias going on, so then I have to learn how to react in a way that's going to enhance my power and my professionalism will not be compromised, but I will be on the same level as that other traveler who happens to be male. Now that's a story that I can share with my audience because it has happened to me more than once. Mm -hmm. And women can identify with that. Absolutely. So if I have women in the audience, they can say, yeah, that happened to me. Or another case that your listeners probably have experienced as well, speaking of unconscious bias, you're at a dinner and let's say there are two women at the dinner and one man. And the man happens to be the guest of one of the women. The woman is gonna pick up the tab for all three people. But the waiter comes over and addresses his comments or her comments only to the man. And then doesn't get the message that, wait a minute, this one is paying for the whole bill and still takes the bill and puts it in front of the man. That's unconscious bias and your head is shaking because you know what I'm talking about. Absolutely. <laughs> right. So I teach like that. Mm -hmm. Those kind of stories, practical stories that people can relate to, things that happen every day, things you just don't even think about. But they are a part of my portfolio and repertoire about diversity, multiculturalism, and unconscious bias that can happen to anybody. Right. Mm -hmm. So how do people find the, their stories that only they can tell? tell? I encourage people to write them down. I'm a big person on journaling. I teach about journaling as well. And I find that if you develop a discipline of writing your stories down, if you can't recall them and file them in some kind of way, then when they're needed, you can pull them up. Even if you say, I don't know why I'm writing this story down, but it can come in handy uh, at some point in time. People will say, well, you know, how do I start with my stories? Well, you could start with when you get up in the morning. So just take a whole day where you get up, you get dressed, you get in your car, you go off to work, and things happen because you are too slow in the driver's lane and somebody passes you <clears throat> and then puts a finger up <laughs> because they're angry. That's a story mm -hmm. and how you reacted to it. Right. Or you get to work and then you find that, oh, things are just not going right because you have a big move taking place and how you feel about that and how the office has a lot of tension, that can be a story as well. Mm -hmm. So you could just go through your entire day and find countless stories that then add up to bigger stories later on. And that's not even counting our history. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Which has so many more. And I'm thinking, you know, a lot of times I go through the day mm -hmm. and I will do something and it triggers a memory. Mm -hmm. Yes. Like some years ago I was sitting next to a gentleman at, a, um, at an event mm -hmm. and we were asked to share 
what was the best advice we had ever received. Mm. And he, what he told me was, if you're going to wash a pot, be sure to you that you wash the outside as well as the inside. Mm. And I can't tell you that every time <laughs> I'm at the sink washing a pot, which is practically daily, it goes through my head. Wow. You know, and I think I've noticed that there are stories that get triggered in our minds yes. all day long, too. Right. And those also can be... I mean, just like Useful. I told this story. That's right, about the pot. About exactly. the pot. <laughs> <laughs> sure somebody has their pot story also. Speaking of pots, I just talked to someone yesterday, I think it was yesterday, whose son, I think, a relative, is now uh, a drummer, a professional drummer. Went back to a story about these two brothers, they had two brothers, who learned how to pick the lock of the kitchen cabinets, you know how moms have these little locks to keep the kids the out? The cookies? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> pick, pick the lock and then learn how to take it out and then put the pots, line them up on the floor and that became their instrument. This is a true story. Became their instrument. Before mom got home, put the pots back and so mom didn't know what was going on, but literally that activity with one brother on the lookout <laughs> looking for mom, and there must have been a babysitter at home, and then the other brother playing with the pots, that brother now is a drummer. That's a story. That's amazing. You see? So that's a story of the present, but also how that goes back into childhood. That is amazing. Yeah. So some of our stories are not happy ones. Yeah. How do we utilize those so that they can be part of the content and the teaching points that we have? Well, first of all, I think that you have to, I'm a professional speaker, so I've, I'm fortunate enough to know how to manage stories because some stories can be very painful and should be told, but should be told in a way where it's either gonna lead to a lesson where somebody's gonna learn from that story and not just cathartic. The, the cathartic value is very good for you, the storyteller, but if it doesn't relate to a particular lesson that you're sharing, then you, you may want to save it for something else. Another thing is that a story may be too soon to tell. Mm -hmm. You may be just too raw to tell a story, and you have to process in terms of how to tell it. Mm -hmm. 22 years ago almost, my 17-year-old son getting ready to go off to college, had graduated from high school six days early, got into an automobile at a party, um, and he was had just learned how to drive, drove too fast in this vehicle. He had been drinking at the party with 21-year-olds who were old enough to drink, and he was someone who wanted to be one of the boys, and got into this vehicle, lost control of the car, hit a retaining wall, and was dead within five minutes. Now, that story happened to me, and that story I live with every day of my life. But I was blessed enough to tell that story about three weeks after he died at a National Speakers Association national convention that I attended. It was cathartic for me, but I built it into the rest of my work. I've told that story in many different ways. I've written books about that story. The twin sister he left behind who is now married and the older sister who is married now with two children, but how they live with that particular story. So there are many ways that that story has evolved and come through iterations, but has been able to help other people 
And so the compassion connection has been one that I'm grateful for, where I now can understand what it's like because I'm a mom who's lost a child and I can share that story with others because typically there's gonna be somebody in my audience who's been through the same experience. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that here. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm trying not to need the Kleenex okay. <laughs> because this is, you know, as a parent. Yeah. Worst nightmare. Worst nightmare. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Wow. So where do you think you originated these, this desire and the skills to be doing what you're doing now as a speaker, as a, an entrepreneur, as you know, helping facilitate these difficult conversations around race, inclusion, diversity, sexual harassment, um, tragedy? I come from a long line of teachers and preachers and some business people. So part of it is uh, from my DNA. Part of it is seeing an opportunity and a need. Uh, back in the late 80s when I started my business, we were economically at a different point in the U.S. There were opportunities that were out there. I actually started first with a temporary employment agency. That was my very first business. And it thrived for a, a short while before I shifted and pivoted into training because I received a training contract. So some of what I do now has been an evolution. Mm -hmm. um, luck, <laughs> a lot of work, a lot of prayer, <laughs> and but but just pushing forward and realizing that this is the direction that I should go into. And even if I look at and think about other aspects of life that may seem like the grass is greener on the other side, the path that I'm on is the path to take. And I now see people who have been in corporate America for many, many years and maybe long to go into business, didn't, Maybe they were my clients or would-be clients, and now some of them are coming out, putting their big toe in the water of entrepreneurship. I'm, I have a leg up. I can help them in terms of what they need to watch out for and, and realizing that in their cases, they're going to be looked at differently now than when they had a very senior position in a corporation. Mm -hmm. We're on the same level now. Mm -hmm. I see people like that. Mm. <laughs> yes. And so if you were to give them one piece of advice, that may be attitude or perspective, what would that be? Be curious, be courageous, be competitive. Stay on your game, learn as much as you can, and then pick the lane that is really right for you. Mm. I want to just ask you what you mean by competitive, because that can be a... Um, something that I personally have like backed away from. Yeah. So I'm very curious, like what can I, what can I personally sure. like, get from Women that? put themselves down too much. Women undervalue themselves too much. Too often women will say, oh, she or this person has so much more than I have to offer. And so that can take away your competitive edge. There are many cases where um, there's a proposal on the table, it requires A, B, C, X, Y, Z, and a man will look at it and say, I can do that, I know I can do that, even though they don't even have the skill sets to do that. And they'll just go on and, and, and put their proposal in, and they have great bravado, 
they have great confidence or the ego is driven in a certain way. And so they will position themselves uh, from a position of strength, much more so than a woman who will look at her deficiencies, put herself down, even though she has a degree more than the man, and she will count herself out from a competitive perspective. I get it. That's I what I'm what talking about. I yes. get it. That's great. That's fantastic. So how can people find you? And how can you help people? Hmm. Uh, a number of ways. My name is my website. That's carolcopelandthomas.com with an E. You can go there, find out all my contact information as well. We can have a conversation. I can be useful from a number of perspectives. One, in terms of my keynote messages that uh, deal with these topics that we've discussed. Also, training workshops that complement the keynote message. Increasingly, I am doing executive coaching and working with people on a one-to-one -one basis. Love it, do it all virtually. Doesn't make any difference where you're living. We can work together virtually to move the needle for you. I'm so excited that you came here. Thank I you. could talk for another <laughs> hour. There's so much that you know Love I it. would have loved to have dove into, Absolutely. but this was terrific. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Thank on. you, Linda. Appreciate it. Yes. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm so glad that you joined us for this episode of Women Inspired. I hope you are inspired by this idea of being an expert across platforms. And if you happen to be speaking and you want to feel a little bit more confident, I have something right for you, which is a guided visualization for speaking confidence. You can get it on my website at lindayugolo.com forward slash speaking confidence. It'll help you out. Be sure to sign in and watch the next episode. Thank you for listening to Women Inspired. The show is recorded live in the studios of Bedford TV in Massachusetts. Music courtesy of Sheik Gamin. If you like this episode, please leave a review or comment. You can subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or watch all the TV episodes of Women Inspired with the show notes and links at www.lindayugolo.com forward slash TV.